0: So we started the year in January, and we said our theme for this year was going to be magnifying the Lord together. And uh, I just stumbled across um, one of the, the little magnets um, when I was working the other day. And I was like, this is kind of ironic because as I was praying about what we should end the year with, I came up with this idea of, oh, come let us adore him. And it kind of fits together. And I want you to notice two words in both of those things. The, the words that I think are really important for us at this time of the year, and just at this time in our history, is together and us. I think that those are really important words. And I know that not all of you are in this room, and I hope that a lot of you are online, but we have to fight hard right now to be together as God's people and to be the us, because there are so many ways that right now there is a a desire to be divided somehow. So there's us's and them's, you know, and there's left and there's right, and there's up and there's down, and there's medium and there's large, and all of these different kinds of divisions. But I believe that God is calling us to just be us, and that we're supposed to come together And we're supposed to adore the Lord during this season. And so I think it always is good whenever you're talking about something to begin with the backstory. Why are we supposed to adore Jesus Christ? And I I think that that as we take a look just at the Bible, we can go right to Genesis chapter 2 and we can begin the the journey of why we need to adore the Lord. In Genesis chapter 2, after God created the earth, God said this, the Lord said to the man, and he put the man and the woman, and he put them in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, and then he said this to them. He said, then the Lord commanded man, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure the garden was incredible. I'm sure that the fruit was beautiful. It was impeccable, and God said, I want you to live here and I want you to eat the good stuff. I can remember being in Brazil on a missions trip and we went to a smorgasbord one night and we had been basically eating the same thing every day. And I loved it. It was very good. Rice and beans and meat. Rice and beans and meat. Rice and beans and meat. And we went to the smorgasbord and they had potatoes. And I don't know about you, but there was just a celebration and eating a potato. I mean, this smorgasbord had incredible meat, but everybody was talking about how great the potatoes were. But there they were in the garden, and they were told they could eat from any tree. But then God said this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now, I think it's really interesting that at the beginning of time, There was only one command, just one. Everything is yours. You can have whatever you want. You can have as much as you want. You can do what you want. He was given work to do, and it was a good thing. He had this great life, and he says, Oh, except for there's just one thing that I don't want you to do. Uh, there, There are hundreds and hundreds of trees in the garden, but there's one tree in the garden, and that one tree... I don't want you to eat. And you're saying, well, why would God do this? Why would God, when he created this, why would he give this command or this challenge? And the reason why is that when God created man, God created man to make choices. There's a fancy word for it. We call it the free will of man. God created us so that we could make choices. And I think that's a wonderful thing, because God could have basically made it so there were no choices, there was no command, and you could just do whatever you want. And that's the world that some people want to live in, right? They want to live in a world where basically they can just do what they want. But God said, I want you to choose me, so I'm only going to give you one way that you can rebel against me or disobey me. And there's only one tree in the whole garden that I don't want you to eat from, And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in chapter 2, verse 17, we find out that there's just one commandment. But then when you start in chapter 3, you find out that immediately the one and only commandment is challenged. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field, that the Lord had made. And you're saying, well, what does that mean? Well, I I think it's just a description of the kind of animal that the serpent was. Kind of like a golden retriever is considered more friendly than a pit bull, right? You know? Or, Or there are certain things that are more cuddly than other things. You know, a guinea pig is more cuddly than a porcupine. And so there's just this description, and for some reason, this animal, the serpent, was just a really bright animal, and 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 that was the thing. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden?" Now, the serpent, we understand, as you read in more scripture, that the serpent is being used by Satan. To tempt them with the only thing they could do wrong. They could only do one thing wrong. And through the serpent, there's a temptation. It's like, did God can you can you can you just see the serpent rolling his eyes going, Did God really say you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? Because you know that's what happens. Have you ever noticed when you're not supposed to do anything, it seems like a much bigger deal. Even though there's only one tree that they can't eat of it, now all of a sudden Satan always is trying to make it a bigger deal. And the woman said to the serpent, We are not to eat, we may eat from eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You should not eat the fruit of the of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Have you noticed that even we struggle sometimes and we make it worse? When I was 19 years old and I was struggling with my stepfather, who was willing to have rules in our house and was willing to say this over and over again I am not your friend, I am your father. And he liked rules because he was a cop. There were times probably when I sat down with my friends that I made it sound like I was living in a concentration camp when I really wasn't. But I made it more severe, and that's exactly what Eve does. She says, he didn't only say we couldn't eat from it; We're not even supposed to touch it. And sometimes we exaggerate how bad something is. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're not going to die. God's just holding back on you. He doesn't want you to be like him and have what he has. You see, that was Satan's problem before, wasn't it? Satan's problem wasn't the fact that he wasn't a beautiful creature that was created by God to bring glory to Him. Satan's problem was that he decided that instead of reflecting God, he was as good as God, and now he's poisoning Eve with the same idea. I don't think God would really do that. He's a loving God. Have you ever heard this one before? He's a loving. Oh, he would never punish anyone. He loves all of us. You know, once in a while I'd get in trouble and my dad would say, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me because he was honest. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, So she looked at it. You know, this is the thing about sin and rebelling against God that's so interesting is it's never ugly and unattractive. For some reason, it always looks really good. There are not a lot of people that have a weight problem because they eat broccoli too much. But there are people that have a weight problem because chocolate looks really good. And it's incredibly attractive. So, what did she do? She took the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So, it's interesting. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that Adam was standing right there the whole time. Servants having a conversation with Eve. Adam's standing there. She tries it, and she goes, hmm, good. And she gives it right to Adam. And they ate. And what happened? What happened to them had never ever happened before, ever in history. These were all new things to them. These are normal things to us because we live in a world where rebellion against God is normal and and sin is normal and doing the wrong things is sometimes normal and, and all that. But they're going to experience for the first time things that were never experienced before. And the first thing that they experience is they both... Then their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloth. There was an innocence, so they lived in complete innocence, but the second that they rebelled against God, all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness. And they took some fig leaves, and they they made the first fruit of the looms, you know? Because there was a new awareness, and one of the new and awarenesses was, is, oh my goodness, there is something wrong with me. Oh my goodness, I'm overexposed. Oh my goodness, what should I do? There was also a new reaction, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Before sin hit the world, when God showed up, people just enjoyed his presence. But all of a sudden, when sin entered the world, when God showed up, there was a desire to hide from the presence of God. Over and over again, you'll see in Scripture, you turn to the book of Isaiah, and what does it said? When you saw the Lord, they became undone. And he says, I am an unclean man with unclean lips. When, when Peter really saw that Jesus Christ was the Lord, he says, get away from me for I am a sinful man. And there was a new reaction. And the new reaction was when light comes into the room and exposes darkness, darkness doesn't like it. And so it tries to hide. You've watched children do this before. Don't eat any cookies before dinner. I'm going to leave them here. Don't eat any cookies before dinner. You leave the room, what do they do? They do what the adults would do. They eat a cookie. And then they're over there and they're sweeping all the crumbs up and they're trying to do everything to make sure nobody did that, you know? One of the funny stories about my stepfather is he built a little fear into me so he literally would open up the cookie jar before he'd leave and he'd go, I know exactly how every cookie is sitting in here. Do not eat any cookies from the jar. And I I can tell you, I would pull that jar over and I would lick up that lid and go, He probably can. I'm not going to eat a cookie. But there was a new reaction. And the new reaction was, There's something wrong with me and I need to hide. There's millions and millions of dollars every year made on this. There's something a little wrong with me. I need a new outfit. There's something a little wrong with me. I need a little more makeup. There's something wrong with me. I need a new pair of sunglasses. There's a way that we're always trying to just hide a little bit. But God seeks. But God called to the man and the woman, says, where are you? God is always calling to us. This is not a new idea. This is, this is a constant. God is always calling out to the people. and He's always saying, where are you? And there was a new emotion. This is what Adam said. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And all of a sudden, fear for the first time Entered into the vocabulary. And think of some of the crazy things that go along with fear. When people are afraid, sometimes they act completely out of control because they don't know what to do. We live in a society right now where, where there are more stations on the TV to explain how to be fearful and what to be afraid of than ever before. Remember when the weather channel just told you what the weather was? Instead of having all these specials on, this is how you can die during a hurricane. This is how you can die during a tornado. This is what people dying in a flood looks like. It's just on and on and on. News station after news station. Spectrum just changed. And so they have their own news thing now. And so whenever you turn Spectrum on, you have to listen to their news until you can get rid of them. But everywhere we look, there is this desire to make us be just a little fearful. God probes. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You never knew that before. You were innocent. There was nothing wrong with you. There was no need for clothing. It was a time of innocence. But who told you? And then the man and woman did what we have all learned to do since this time. Instead of telling the truth, they deflected. The man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Instead of saying, I ate the fruit, it's like, she gave it to me. It, it, it was her fault. Then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, these are the patterns that began then, fear, deflecting, hiding. Those are the patterns that began that are normal patterns of living for most people. Very few of us Come into the room without some kind of filter on, knowing, trying to figure out who we can be more honest with and who we have to be less honest with, right? Because you don't want to tell everybody the truth. Why? Because we know we're exposed and we're trying to find a fig leaf to hide behind. Every one of us sometimes, instead of wanting to be in God's presence, kind of stays away from God's presence. Why? If you know you're struggling with your sin, do you think, I'm going to get up early tomorrow morning and have a quiet time? No, you don't think that. You try to hide from your God. and Every one of us knows how to play the victim. Do we not live in a society that knows how to play the victim? There is somebody else's fault for everything. You know, I I, I don't have to take the fault for this. Um, Well, I can't help it. You, You see, I'm Irish, and we're just that way. Or, you know... This happened to my ancestors, and so I'm, they were a victim, and I, I will remain a victim with them. You know? You never met my dad. He was really harsh. I couldn't help but rebel against that. You know, all of these things that we say, somehow we're the victim. But there's a day coming when we're going to stand before God, and the victim card is just not going to be very helpful that day. Because he's going to look at us and he's going to ask us about our choices. He's not going to ask us about the wounded things that we have been that make us think we need to make those choices. One of my favorite stories is the story of the two brothers who had the alcoholic father. The one brother, because he had an alcoholic father, when he got to his teenage years, he struggled with with alcohol all the time and said, well, you know, the reason I do this is because my father was an alcoholic and I'm an alcoholic. But if you met his brother, his brother was straight and narrow, lived completely different. And why did he live differently? Well, because my father was an alcoholic. I never wanted to be like that. See, there are always reasons why. But rebellion had consequences. And God had to look at his... his (coughs) creation that only had one choice that it could make wrong one choice one steak and tree one place on the concession stand you could pull any other button you could have any other thing but you couldn't have the almond joy that's the only one you know and there had to be consequences that went along with that and that was the warning that he gave that you weren't supposed to eat from the tree because there were consequences that went on with that. And God began talking about those consequences in verse 14. And he started by the consequences that the serpent would face. Because you have done this, curse are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I, I don't know what the servant was like. I, I don't know what it could do. But next thing you know, it was just a belly crawler. That's all it could do. It couldn't do the other things. It says, goes on and says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And let's face it, how many of us, I know there are like like 3% of the world that like them. But for the most part, none of us are really excited about reptiles. You know, when, when we have little bunnies in our yard and we have squirrels in our yard, that can be a frustration. But I never felt the same way as when I had iguanas in my yard. Okay? I didn't think this is just another kind of squirrel. No, I didn't think that at all. I thought this is a really ugly little animal. And probably one of the most traumatic experiences I had in my whole time in Florida was one time during the storms and that one of the backyard iguanas ended up in the driveway and and it got run over by a car. And so there's this four and a half foot iguana right outside my house. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to take care of this. So I get a big garbage bag and I get a flat shovel and I'm taking that iguana that's dead and I'm going to lift it up, and I'm going to put it in this thing. But I did not lift it right. I did not find the point of equilibrium. So at about this high, and all of a sudden it starts flipping through the air. And my kids were watching me do this, and they said, they have never seen Dad scream like a girl. <laughs> like when I thought the dead iguana was alive. I, I don't miss that part of living in Florida at all. But there was something else that he said to the serpent when he was actually talking not to the serpent, but to Satan who was behind that serpent. And he said this He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In this verse here, we find the promise that God is going to somehow win in the end, that the serpent isn't going to win. And the reason that we can adore this baby is because this baby is God-winning, right? Eve had consequences, too. I will certainly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children. You know, we really in America live kind of a life of ease. A lot of the things that there was toil in, we've figured out ways to have less toil in it, okay? Instead of using a sickle to cut your lawn or a pair of scissors, we have a lawnmower, okay? And for some reason, that became too burdensome, so we get them self-propelled now. And for some people, that's too burdensome, so we get one that is remote-controlled. And so then, you know... um, we can just use two thumbs, and the toil level is way down. Um, most of us love our dishwashers in our house, and not many of you have I watched go down to Chub River and uh, find a rock to do your laundry. Most of you have a washer and dryer that you use. We we live a life of incredible ease, but there are these reminders in the middle of it that there are consequences. To our rebellion against God. And childbirth is one of them. That is one of those times. But he says that there's another consequence. We probably don't talk enough about this. You shall, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. A more literal translation would say this Your desire shall be to control your husband and he shall rule you harshly. Isn't it interesting that God created man and woman for this thing called marriage, and one of the consequences against the rebellion is that there is going to be conflict in marriage. Now, there are married people in this room, and all of them would agree with me. And if they wouldn't agree and say, oh, we've had a great marriage, you've never had any problems, I would say that one of you is dead. <laughs> or lying. But relationships are hard. And it's the fall that made them hard. Adam got consequences too. And to Adam he says, Because you do listen to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed be the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. The toil of work is part of the curse. Work was supposed to be something that was joyful and, and, and good. Work isn't the punishment. The toil of work is what is the punishment. In fact, he goes on and says this, Thistles, thorns, and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. Have you noticed that none of you ever have to go and take a little time to grow weeds? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, in this parking lot here, all we have is sand and more crushed sand and rocks. And somehow, weeds grow in it all the time. You don't have to to make weeds happen. They just happen. I, I was thinking about the toil, and I was wondering, I wonder what the soil was like in the garden. I bet you it wasn't rocky like we have here. Everything about it, about work has challenges to it. If you go through the state of North Dakota, you'll see these beautiful fields and at one corner of every field is a huge pile of rocks. Because not only do they grow a lot of wheat in the state of North Dakota, but it seems like those same fields grow new rocks every year. The toil By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you will return. One of the consequences was literally that you would die physically. When they were in the garden originally, that wasn't a part of the plan. It was supposed to be an eternal existence. You see, the thing that's so interesting about God's Word is you have Genesis 1 and 2, which is God creating everything. Genesis 3 is us messing it all up. And then you go all the way to to Revelation chapter 20, which is the end of the mess up. And then, then in chapters 21 and 22 is the new created order and the new heavens and the earth. So all of these chapters in the middle our God having to keep the promise that he made in chapter 3. And it's all of him working it out. You see, here's the reality. We mirror Adam and Eve's rebellion to God's commandments. Every one of us do. Every one of us from childhood could do that. If our parents said no, we'd look at them and do it anyway, right? You, You remember those moments, don't touch that. I said, don't touch that, don't touch that. That's the rebellion that's inside of each one of us. You know, I, I never, I've said it before, but I never taught my kids to be mean to each other. I didn't sit down with, with Grace one day and say, Grace, I need to teach you how to hit Stephen today. No, she, she figured it out all on her own. She knew what to do. But we mirror Adam's rebellion to God's command. We mirror the reactions to conviction. And we live with the same consequences that they live with. But here's the amazing thing. This is why we come to adore him. Because Jesus Christ is the curse breaker. Isn't that great to know? Because we live in a world sometimes where you just feel like you're under the curse. But Jesus Christ is a cursed favor because Jesus Christ, God kept his promise right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but, in order that the world might be saved through him, you know one of, this is one of the things that I think that we get wrong in Christianity is we don 't have to condemn people that isn 't god 's choice that isn 't god 's desire god 's desire is to save people that 's his desire that 's why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came so that First of all, he could be the curse breaker for us, and we can move from the condemnation that we're already under. Yet, it, the second that Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they were under condemnation, and they knew it. Ah! Right? God starts walking in the garden. What do they do? They hide. God asks them to be honest about what they've done, and they blame someone else. We are just like that. We don't need to be condemned. A lot of people feel condemned, and they are because they have rebelled against Almighty God. But I'm not here to talk to you about that condemnation. I'm here to talk to you about the reality that God wants to save us. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to break the curse. He came to save us. He goes on in verse 18 and says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's not that they are condemned because all of a sudden they hear about Jesus. That that was their problem already. And the world's trying to do all different kinds of things to deal with their condemnation, aren't they? But I'm here to tell you that we are not the church to condemn the sinful. We are the church because God wants to save the sinful. But he goes on in verse 19 and says this, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know what the reality is? People are still hiding today, aren't they? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden they just go, I'm not that bad a person. And you go, I never said you were a bad person. And then they start listing these extreme things that are only on television. Uh, I've I've never shot anyone, okay. And they, they start listing all these things and you say, why are you listing these things? Because in their heart of hearts, the Holy Spirit of God is saying, you're condemned verse 20 says this for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does come into the light lest his deeds be exposed uh, this was a real hard lesson for me to learn as a teenager i just thought everybody was a good person and I honestly believed everybody, and, and I can still remember the night that, that, you know, I had some convictions, and I lived in a policeman's house, and that's kind of living like with a permanent breathalyzer test near you, um, so I, we just didn't drink. And I can remember being over at Jim Knutson's house and being in the basement, and we've been hanging out and doing stuff, and all of a sudden, he goes behind this counter, and he just starts pulling out all these different shaped bottles, and he looks at me and he goes, Jim, we're drinking now. And I said, no, we're not. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm just going to go home. And then he looked at me and he said, but Jim, you're drinking with me. He said, no, I don't think I am. And then he said something that only a 15-year-old could say. He says, Jim, do you know who my dad is? I said, yeah, I'm familiar with your dad. Do you know how powerful we are in this town? I know you own some stuff. He says, we own half the mall. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And if you don't drink with me, I will ruin you. 15-year-old. That was before cell phones. I had to go around the house to find one of these. I can remember calling up my dad and saying, Dad, I'm at this address and I need you to pick me up. Would you come right away? And Dad came right away. And here's the interesting thing about Dad. Dad was pretty hard. But Dad never asked me about why I needed to be picked up that day. You see... Jim Knutson had given himself over to those kinds of things. And so he was determined to have me walk in darkness with him. That's how the darkness is sometimes. It's not enough for them to be in the darkness. They want everybody to be just as dark as them. But here's the thing. That is the thing that we need to remember. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. In other words, there is this amazing thing that happens, and I don't know if it's happened in your life. I, I believe that it's happened many of your lives. That at one point, instead of wanting to hide and rationalize away and, 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 and somehow overlook your sinfulness you you decided that you needed a savior you you decided that you needed forgiveness you decided that there was no way that you could make the scale go right and so you humbled yourself at the foot of a cross and you said jesus will you save me and god said yes and that's why jesus christ came as a baby why should we adore him Because that baby is the savior of the world and breaks the curse of sin. Let's pray. God, I I pray for people that may be hearing this message today and are struggling because the lights in their eyes and they're feeling uncomfortable those same things that Adam and Eve felt they feel today and they don't realize that it's just because God is showing them who they are so that He can be the Savior for them I thank you the fact that not only were you born as a baby but you became an adult man and in that you took the punishment for our sins that's what the cross is about Because there has to be punishment. There has to be justice. And you took the punishment so that we wouldn't have to have it ourselves. And you gave us a way to move from being condemned to being accepted by the God of heaven and to learn to live a greater life of peace with other people because of the acceptance we have from you. And I pray for people that haven't asked you to be their personal savior. And I pray that today would be the day that they would make that decision. And I pray for those of us who've already made that decision. And I pray that we would not try to hide our sin. That we would let you expose all of who we are to the light. That we would understand, first of all, that we're already for completely forgiven because the cross means complete forgiveness. But more than that, that because of the cross and the fact that the curse was broken, that we would watch ourselves, divorce ourselves from the activities of the flesh and act more like people that are driven by the Spirit. And so, God, we pray that you would do that miracle in each of us. Or the sin that we struggle with, that you would replace it with your glory. And God, we're thankful for your Son who came. And we're thankful for this time that we are here together. We pray this in your name. Amen. Steve's going to come up and play, and we're going to take communion, which I think is really appropriate on this day to celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. I want to remind you that we practice open communion here at Lake Plaza Baptist Church, which basically means if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, we encourage you to celebrate in the elements with us. Now, if you haven't made that decision yet, we encourage you to just abstain on this day because this is a sacred moment And we want you to enjoy in that sacred moment. The Word of God makes it clear that we are supposed to prepare our hearts and reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us every time that we take communion together. We're supposed to do it with an examined heart. So as Steve plays, I'm going to encourage you to take a couple moments to prepare your hearts. Now our tradition is that one of the things that happened in the Corinthians church is they didn't wait on each other and we want to make sure that we give you the time that you need to prepare your heart to take of communion today. And so here's how we know that you're ready. After you've taken your time with the Lord, when you're ready, you just look up at me, and I'll know that you're ready. And when I see everybody's eyes up here, then we will partake of communion together. But the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in a way I can't. He's going to talk to you about things and make sure that your heart is ready and maybe even expose things to you that you need to know on this moment. But I encourage you to make your hearts ready so that we can celebrate Christ's sacrifice together. I don't know about you, but I don't like to think about myself being condemned. Do you like to think of yourself that way? You know, I come from a pretty good family. We do right things. We don't smoke. We don't chew or go with girls that do. You know, we we kind of got those things right. You know, but until I was willing to admit that I was condemned, I didn't need a savior. And Jesus Christ never did anything wrong, and yet He will willingly allowed Himself to be. Condemned so that we could have a relationship with a loving God. Because God not only is a loving God, but He's a just God. And that punishment was necessary. So as you take Christ's body today, think of it broken for you so condemnation could be done away with. Do this in remembrance of Him. The miracle is this blood. Blood needed to be spilt so that sin could be washed away. And so Christ's blood was spilt for you so that you could be washed clean by God. This blood is a new covenant in His blood. Do this in remembrance of Him. Why don't you stand with me and put your mask on and let's sing this song as we Think of this challenge that we want to adore the Lord together in this season. In your weak moments this week, in those moments when it's hard to not listen to your flesh and do less than the right thing, may you remember that Christ is your curse breaker and that because of that, we are no longer condemned, but we stand in the light of his glory with him. God bless you. Have a great day.